I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome Welcome to to Los Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. That's cute. All right, everybody, I have a very special guest co-host today, and I'm very excited about this because I love her podcast. I almost had to unfollow her on Instagram because her bathroom is the bathroom of my dreams. <laughs> Thank you, Kirby. It was deeply upsetting <laughs> to see just how gorgeous you made this bathroom. I need to talk about in the wall faucets, okay, at some point, but I digress. I have the one and only Brooke DeVard Ozaiden Lee. Ooh, that just rolls right off the tongue. I love that. All right. So a little bit about Brooke. Like I said, she is the creator and host of the Naked Beauty podcast. She works in marketing at Instagram. She is a wealth of information in so many different ways. I love following her wellness tips, her beauty tips when she tries out sunscreens. And she interviews a lot of the women that she admires most. Prior to Instagram, Brooke worked at Viacom overseeing digital marketing and content strategy. And then before that was at Ralph Lauren as a social media manager overseeing the social strategy for their luxury brands, which is why she has amazing taste. Probably one of the reasons why she has amazing (laughs) taste. Brooke started her career in London as a product marketing manager for Nokia's entertainment team after graduating from Stanford. No big deal. I didn't even know all of that about you, Brooke. You've lived a life. Yeah, I've lived a life. I've lived a life. But, you know, also podcasting since 2016. And I just have to say, like, your presence in the podcasting space makes me so happy. I love Los Angeles. Really great, great content. And I think it's great when you can, we were talking earlier, you do a lot of things, but then doing this, like, this is my passion. Like, I love this. I could talk to you all day about skincare, beauty. And I guess that's why I do it every week on Naked Beauty. Yes, I love Naked Beauty. Like I said, you are one of the pioneers in the space. Like 2016, really, it was what? You and Fat Mascara? Yep. Essentially. Pretty much. You seem to always have been an early adopter, though. You know, I was just playing around with Mid Journey. Have you, have you played around on Mid Journey on Discord? No. Yeah. It's like chat GPT, but for visuals. So you can be like a woman with purple hair and a nose ring and whatever, and then it will create it for you. It's very interesting. So yeah, I'm a bit of a nerd that way, which is why I guess I've kind of always kind of worked tech adjacent, but I do love new media, new technology. How did you decide you wanted to start covering beauty? So I always say it started with my hair. I kind of was going on this natural hair journey. And then through that hair journey, I landed on understanding skincare, wellness, and I got really into the gloss. We all remember into the gloss when it was at its peak, right? right? And you would read these long form interviews with these really interesting women about their approach to beauty. And I was like, this could be a podcast. Like I would listen to interesting people simply just talk me through their relationship with beauty, their approach to beauty, why they wear the mascara they wear, what they learned from their mother, what they learned from their sisters, what they learned from or unlearned from like a toxic ex-boyfriend. Like it's very interesting for me to hear interesting people talk about their approach to beauty. So that was my inspiration for creating Naked Beauty. And you've had incredible guests on the show. You do amazing content, obviously, to accompany the show. 
What has been your favorite episode? If people were just getting tuned into Naked Beauty, what episode do you always send them to? Oh, wow, Kirby. That's such a hard question. How do you answer that question? I, I don't know. I, like, I feel it's like every episode is really different. I'll just talk about the most recent episode. So last week, I had a chance to interview Leah Thomas. She calls herself a climate optimist, which I love. But she's really one of these advocates for environmentalism and environmental justice. And we talked about the soft life, but not in the sense of buying luxury handbags, in the sense of going outside and going on walks and caring about the planet and sustainability and how that's like a really beautiful way to live your life. And she just gave me a lot of thought starters around being more conscious and also educated me about greenwashing, which is a real problem in the industry. So I love that conversation. I know I have that one queued up. I need to listen to it, but you're right. And she's right. Greenwashing is a huge problem. And we're going to kind of touch on that in a headline later in the show. But before we dive yes. into that, what's on your face, Brooke? So I will actually start with my face. So Kirby, I think you'll know this person. Do you know the beauty sandwich? Yes. Ivan. Ivan. Have you had a chance to get one of Ivan's treatments? I have not had an, a beauty sandwich and it's upsetting to me. One of these days I will get there. <laughs> you know what? You need to experience this. I had a chance to experience it now three days ago. And he told me when I left, your skin looks good now, but you're going to see in the days that follow, you're going to get more and more snatched. And like, I swear, I feel like I've had like facial contour from this beauty sandwich treatment. I mean, he treats everyone like Selma Hayek I and mean, all of these like gorgeous, beautiful women. If you look at his very popular Instagram account, you can see some of his clients, but he's one of these like Hollywood insider things that you can only experience in LA. We don't have facials on this level <laughs> in New York. So I was very excited to do that. So that's like the background of my skin. And that's then- so good. Thank you. Makeup wise, I'm doing a little Jones Road beauty. I'm still using the balm. Are you into the balm? So you're talking about the Miracle Balm, right? The Miracle Balm. Yes. Oh, I love the Miracle Balm. That is chef's kiss to me. She did. She did it. She did it with that one. And it's been around now, like I'd say, what, a good year and a half now. I think we're past the hype phase. Like it's for me, it's here to stay in my routine. But I don't get excited about buying makeup often. But by Rado makeup, it just does something for me. It's just like that. And maybe it's because I'm already in by Rado and I'm already intoxicated by all of the scents. And then I just see the makeup and I'm like, let me just get. So I got this um, eyeliner crayon. I think it's called the Kajal liner. And the color I got is ambivalent, which is like this burgundy shade. Ooh. And I'm really into that. Like I'm actively looking for alternatives to black that are still dark liners. So like a hunter green, a burgundy, a navy. I love that right now. I also love the name, Ambivalent. Right, yeah. It's a great name. It's a great name. And on my lips, I'm wearing a lip liner from The Lip Bar, which is a fabulous Black-owned makeup brand. She's the largest Black-owned cosmetics brand in Target um, by Melissa Butler. I'm wearing her lip liner, which is gorgeous, and it looks basically perfect with anything I put with it. It's like a, you know, a nice dark brown lip liner is for brown skin, perfect. And then I'm wearing my Amicole lip oil, which I am obsessed with. And I'm such a big fan of everything that Giada is doing with Amicole. And then what else? Oh, I'm doing, I have a little bit of hourglass blush on the cheeks and that's it. Fabulous. Melissa was recently on Naked Beauty, right? She was, she was. Melissa was recently on talking about her journey as a owner raising money for the lip bar and what that struggle was like getting investors and getting oftentimes 
non-Black people to understand the Black beauty market and why she was creating the lip bar and why it was important that the company so successful. So I was really excited to hear her story. Yeah. Excellent episode. Everybody needs to go listen to it. And then after you finish her episode on Naked Beauty, listen to her episode with us on Los Angeles. It will be a, a 360 cohesive listening yes. experience. Okay, Brooke, that was fabulous. So it's actually World Fragrance Day. And I feel like you are very, very in tune with the fragrance world. And do you have particular fragrance? Do you have a fragrance wardrobe? I do have a fragrance wardrobe, but I'm going to say I've been a little boring lately and I've been doing more skin sense, meaning like not the like high projection, like I'm not reaching for my Killians lately. Mm. Lately, I'm doing more of the like, I love the eccentric molecule, super ISO E. It's like just like a very crisp, fresh skin. It smells different on everyone too. I love that. I love that. And my favorite, like now for a year, the Lalabo matcha tea is like, for me, holy grail. I need to try that one. I do feel like I need to give a disclaimer for it because it's not necessarily like a green tea scent. The way they describe it is like it evokes the feeling of like drinking green tea in Japan. So it's lots of like cedars and there's like, I think a little bit of like, I want to say fig notes in it. It's not like a purely green tea scent. It's like a, just a very woody, creamy, gorgeous, delicious. I love it. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, since we're on the subject, I want to feature two fragrances that I've been loving. Jennifer Meyer has her own namesake fragrance. It's this cute little bottle. It's inspired by her growing up and living in Malibu. What a life. The top notes are coconut and strawberry. So if you're a fruity person and you like the smell of being on the beach, this is going to be your jam. But it's not like in your face sunscreen notes. I think sometimes when we think of the beach, we think of these very banana-esque type fragrances yes. that can lean a little bit more, I don't know, young in a way. This feels very mature and it feels like you're walking on the beach in your cashmere and enjoying the sunset. So I'm very much a big fan of this one. It just, I think it just launched actually. And it's pretty affordable, $130. I also am a sucker. I went to the Gucci bar at Nordstrom and I was looking for a new mascara. So I picked up uh, their mascara, which is great. And they were like, do you want some samples of our new Alchemist Garden fragrance? And I was like, yeah, sure. The bottles are gorgeous. Like I'll I'll try some. Those bottles are beautiful. I just want them all to display. Like I want them in the background of, of my... Uh, exactly. Right now. But <laughs> this one is called A Chant for the Nymph. And it's in this beautiful pink bottle. And I'm very much like a tropical girl, Brooke. Like anything that leans, like I'm gonna... Like I love Neroli Portofino, which is not tropical at all. But like the Neroli really gets me. This, it's plumeria scented. So it's like kind of peachy. It has a little bit of jasmine to it, ylang ylang, which is so gorgeous. And then like a very subtle touch of vanilla. So it's like, it's sweet, but it's not overpowering. I'm not really a big gourmand girl. Like I, I can't really get into like the super sweet, like cake-like scents, but I do like to smell a little fruity from time to time. I get it. I get it. Have you tried Lost Cherry or a Bitter Peach from Tom Ford? Lost Cherry is my jam. Yes. Okay, wait, I'm, I'm going to tell you what Lost Cherry reminds me of. Tom Ford Beauty people, cover your ears because you're going to be horrified. <laughs> it reminds me of Jurgens used to have this like cherry almond lotion. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. 
that's like what lost cherry reminds me of it's like that that like it's kind of like a marzipan but there's like that almond note that comes through with the cherry it just reminds me of that cherry and i loved that lotion as a child so it's a compliment really if anything oh my gosh that is hilarious yeah tom ford close your ears you don't want to hear that but you know it's like almost a nostalgia factor which i think kind of works to its advantage in a way absolutely okay why don't we jump into some headlines This headline spoke to you, so I'm really excited about it. Inside the complex world of fragrance dupes, this is on Allure, and they're outlining that there's a whole new business model now. It's not counterfeit fragrance, meaning it's not illegal, and it's not inspired by, quote unquote, like their exact replicas, these very, very popular fragrances being sold at like a fraction of the price. And there's a big conversation around this because it's like, you know, should fragrances be available to any and everyone who wants to try them, right? Or is this a problem because there's artistry that goes into creating a fragrance that, you know, these noses, they spend time trying to develop these unique fragrances that don't already exist in the world. Brooke, I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Like one of the brands that they mention is, I believe, Dossier. Actually, can I read you a part of this, Brooke? Do you mind? Absolutely. It says, there's a certain perfume that if you've been following fragrance trends for the past few years, you've read about countless times, Baccarat Rouge 540, which is allegedly the fragrance that Rihanna used to wear before she made her own and probably still wears it. Let's be honest. Oh, really? I thought they said that about the Killian Don't Be Shy, that that was a fragrance she used to wear, but maybe it's both. Maybe. Who knows? But it says, <laughs> it says, it's certainly an extremely popular Agreed. fragrance. I mean, I hear about it all the time. It says it's a groundbreaking blend of saffron, cedar, and airy sweetness. And it says Baccarat celebrates its 250th anniversary with Baccarat Rouge 540. And since its launch in 2015, Baccarat Rouge has cemented its status as an elegantly luxurious and intense scent, stunning and unique in every conceivable way. There's absolutely nothing boring about its scent profile. So that copy, it's not from the brand. That does not come from the brand that actually creates it. We all know we all know Baccarat Rouge. It is the fact that that copy is on the dupe website is very that's the issue, right? Right. No no one owns the top notes of no one owns jasmine, saffron and cedar, right? That's not intellectual property in itself, but I think the issue is noses have a very hard time showing ownership around a particular scent. It's not something that unless people smell two things side by side and say this is extremely similar, there's no protection against fragrance combinations. There's no like intellectual property that you can get around a fragrance. So it's something that's really hard to protect. I think that my issue becomes when you're intentionally misleading customers to make them think that it is this other fragrance that it's not. You're essentially like riding on the coattails of all of the marketing and the brand work and the research and development that went into the scent from another place. So I do not like this. That being said, one of my favorite fragrance resources is Frangratica. We're picking all the hard to pronounce things today. Fra Frangratica. <laughs> do you know this website? Oh, wait. 
Yes. Where you can go and you can see all of the notes and all of the perfumes. Yes. 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 And you can see really robust reviews. It's kind of like Yelp for fragrance. It's a fabulous resource. And one of the things that they have is they'll say, okay, if you like Byredo Baldafrique, you're probably going to like this, this, and this, right? So they connect the dots between what are the common notes? What do fans of this fragrance like in other fragrances, which is really helpful. I think that these websites that want to expose people to scents should do something like that to say, okay, if these are the types of fragrances you like, or take a little quiz, like answer, are these some of your common fragrances? Then you may like this formulation, this formulation, this formulation. If they're not doing that, then I think they need to like give the noses that develop the sense like a cut of the profit or, or, or kind of bring them in in some way. Agreed. Because as you said, there's no copy or trademark protection for fragrance formulas. And that's actually why this is a completely separate and bigger conversation. But when people say, oh, people hide all these ingredients under fragrance on the inky list to be able to like sneak in bad ingredients and stuff like that. It really isn't the reason. First of all, fragrance formulas can often be like 20, 30 different types of ingredients. So you want to kind of condense the space on the packaging for obvious reasons. But furthermore, they want to protect... <laughs> They want to protect the formula so that they have a scent that's inherent to them. Dove doesn't want their products to smell like other beauty products. You know what I mean? Like, because scent is tied to memories. It's tied to how you feel. No brand wants to feel like their product is run of the mill in terms of the fragrance, right? So I, I agree with you. I think that the noses get screwed in this situation, having spent so much time trying to work on these fragrances. In this Allure story, it says European courts have litigated perfume as intellectual property on a case-by-case -case basis, but ultimately determined that they are not uniformly eligible for copyright, which is really interesting. And I mean, I guess it makes sense, but sense pun intended, <laughs> says that a former IFF perfumer and founder of Dream Air Studios who created many mainstream fragrances like Abercrombie and Fitch Fierce and Tom Ford, Amber Absolute, now creates scents under his own label, The Zoo. It is not only dupe brands that have capitalized on the lack of protection, but some mainstream perfume brands as well. So it's like basically people that are going in-house are now starting their own things and giving their version of it. So I think there's much to be thought about, but I wonder how they would be able to protect a f perfume formula in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think it's no secret in all elements of design, there is like copying that happens. In all industries, there's copying that happens. But we know that all of the top fashion houses, whether it's like Celine or Gucci or Ralph Lauren or every single top fashion house, they go and they source other garments, often vintage, right? They'll like go to a vintage market and buy a lot of stuff and then they'll bring them back to the studio and then they'll make designs inspired by that. And sometimes it is an outright copy that, I mean, that's just what happens. People find it. And that is something that is happening also in fragrance. I think the issue is not exactly copying, but when you label it in a way where you're basically like mentioning the name by brand, you're not just making like, oh, I found a vintage moto jacket and then we created a moto jacket. You're like out and out writing the copy as if it is the other brand. Correct. I totally agree with you. How do you think social media plays into these dupes becoming more common? Because I feel like five years ago, fragrance was not that big of a topic when it comes to a review because everyone's like, well, you can't smell it. It's like one of notoriously one of the hardest things. And it was just notoriously difficult because people didn't feel tied to fragrance because they couldn't smell it on the spot through a video. But now I feel like people have figured out 
the way to tie it to a memory or tie it to a certain event. And it's becoming more popular. And there's there's fragrance influencers now. People are collecting fragrances. So how do you think social media played into this? My first thought was the prevalence of like dupe culture, which is something that we see a lot like in Gen Z. My first thought was how I think it used to be like maybe even 10 years ago where you would be like embarrassed to have like the off brand version of something, right? Like where it would be like embarrassing to not have the name brand version of something, which in a sense is like silly, right? If it's the same thing, who cares if it's Old Navy or if it's Aritzia, if it's the same spandex top, like it doesn't really matter. It's, you know, there's no great design being stolen here. Get the thing that's less expensive. Oftentimes these things are made in the same factory. So I think that one of the things that I think is good about like dupe culture is kind of just like being upfront about the fact that oftentimes people want to save money. And if I can get the same thing for less or like something close to the same thing for less, then that's good. I think this accessibility conversation is important. And Yes, not everyone can afford like Baccarat Rouge. Not everyone can afford a fragrance from Gucci or a Tom Ford fragrance. And yes, they should be able to smell those like same notes and have that same experience. I do think that when it comes to talking about fragrance and this fragrance collecting, I understand it because I understand like product junkieism. Like I understand that it's like a habit, right? You see something and then you really want it. But I do think fragrance is one of those things that's like very personal right? Even more personal than, Mm -hmm. oh, Mm -hmm. this moisturizer is great. So I always, even when I recommend the Matcha 26 from Malabo, I say it's a very specific scent. If you like very feminine, floral or gourmand scents, you're not going to like this. And it's what I like. I think that when I see fragrance reviews that are like, this is the best fragrance, like everyone run out and go buy it. I'm like, that's... So it's like just such a like personal thing. Right. But the people that do it really well, and I had Asia Grant on my podcast. She she creates fragrances and she also has like synesthesia. So she like associates like fragrance with colors. And she came on and she talked through a bunch of different fragrances and just her descriptions of them really made them come alive. So some people do have this gift of explaining fragrance in a really beautiful way that connects with the intended audience and can like lead them to purchase the right fragrance. So I think overall, I'm happy there's more fragrance conversation. I'm happy that we are reducing stigma around buying the like non-brand version of something. I just don't think they should intentionally like mislead consumers. Agreed. It's kind of like the brand makeup revolution where they just copy and paste the work of not only like larger brands that have created really great products, but also independent brands that are just trying to make it. They're copying their product packaging or whatever formulations. Oh, I don't know this brand, Makeup Revolution. I'll send you a I'll send you a link. They I think they're at Ulta even. What? But it's it's rare that I don't see something pop up about them stealing from like an independent brand. It's crazy. That is shocking. I know. And they can get away with it. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. The thing I would encourage people to do that, you know, maybe don't have like a huge budget to spend on fragrance. One, like get samples. Like I always get samples from Lucky Scent. That is like my go-to place. Like you can get a sample for $3, $4 and I'll just spend $50 to get 10 different samples and just live with the fragrance and try it a few times before I commit to buying the whole bottle. There's nothing worse than spending your money on a fragrance and like, you use it two months later and you're like, this fragrance gives me a headache and like makes me sick. Like, what was me? I, I used to like this, you know? And then you're just kind of stuck with it. 
Or you find out that the fragrance doesn't even last. The spritz, it's like, where did it go? Exactly. It went MIA. Exactly. Amazing. All right. I loved your thoughts on that. I need to listen to that episode with Asia for sure. Moving on. There's new legislation. And it's, uh, this is another headline from Allure. With new legislation, you can expect more recalls to hit the beauty industry. Ramped up safety testing required by the new law, MOCRA, could soon mean a whole different look for the beauty industry. Here's what you need to know. So I'm going to just read the intro to this. I mean, all the breaking news in the United States at any given moment, you might have missed a recent major development in the way your makeup, skincare, hair care, and more are regulated. On December 29th, 2022, the Modernization of Cosmetics Regulation Act, MOCRA, was signed into law. The beauty industry had two months to process this legislation, the first overhaul of the ingredient regulation since before World War II. And there is optimism that it could be a great thing for consumers, but there are also very big question marks. Will the new laws have an outsized impact on smaller niche brands while bigger ones go on with business as usual? And with more safety testing required, what exactly could we learn is lurking in our lipsticks? We talked to industry insiders about what they think Mocha is going to mean for our favorite shampoos, moisturizers, and more. And so they consulted, I believe, six different experts ranging from cosmetic chemists to like the vice president of affairs for the Personal Care Product Council, someone from the entire environmental working group, a representative from Washington state and another cosmetic chemist. So just to break down, I think like some of the big highlights are that the FDA can now recall dangerous products. I didn't even realize this, Brooke, but apparently before the FDA was not able to demand that a beauty product contaminated with something dangerous like asbestos or lead be taken off the shelves. So when products are recalled, that's because the brand is doing their due diligence to do it. It's not because they're being mandated by the government, which I thought was really interesting. There's a lot of fear mongering that goes yes. on when people claim, oh, we like go by European standards. It's like, yes, European standards, however, also like eliminate things that would never even be close to being in your products like jet fuel and things like right, that. You know right, what I mean? Right, right, right. So I actually want to ask you, once we get through this, your thoughts on how this may affect the fear mongering of it all. But it says you might be hearing more about scary ingredients, which kind of plays into that. It says Mokra is going to mean that more frequent testing for contaminants like mercury, lead, benzene and asbestos will be required by beauty companies by the end of 2025. But we might be seeing new headlines about nefarious ingredients in beauty products a whole lot sooner, perhaps in the coming months. Because manufacturers aren't incentivized to run tests that can pick up very low trace levels of carcinogens. And there are ingredients that could be considered carcinogens that at low trace amounts doesn't do anything. You know what I mean? It's like the amount determines the poison the, and the toxicity of something. So I found that interesting that we might be hearing more like, oh, well, we found lead in all of your lipsticks. And it's like, but how much lead was it? <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Like, we need to know that. It says smaller beauty brands could have a tough go of it. And I think like this for me is the biggest concern. It says that, you know, cosmetic companies will be subject to facility registration, good manufacturing practices, good record keeping and reporting of serious adverse events and safety substantiation. And that this may affect smaller brands that maybe because of DTC, they were able to enter the market a little bit more easily than in the past. But now the barrier to entry will be the fact that they have all of these regulations and all this testing that they have to do, and they may not have the capital to do that. Right. I think another good interesting point is that 
like an irritant in an ingredient or in a formulation has to be disclosed. Yes, I saw that. Aller- they have to disclose allergens, which they don't disclose currently. And I think that's something that is actually beneficial. Yes, absolutely. If there could be a potential allergen in a product that could save people so so much time and yes. confusion. Yes. So I think that's a really good, you know, interesting part of this MOCRA legislation. And then it kind of goes into when we'll see this play out timeline wise. So I guess the question is this with, you know, some of these bullet points, for instance, one of them is we'll hear about scary ingredients more. How does that make you feel? So overall, I believe in like transparency. Like I think that it is so important. I personally, I'm sure you feel the same way. I love my skincare products where it like says what's in the product, like on the actual bottle, not in the box that you throw away. Like, tell me what's inside. Like, I want to know. I think that brands that kind of go above and beyond to explain what's in their skincare are doing the right thing. This is stuff that we're putting on our face. This is stuff that we're putting in our skin. I mean, I understand why people get so up in arms around the ingredients in skincare. It's very legitimate to be concerned about it. What I don't love is in the clean beauty world, in the marketing world of clean beauty, there is so much fear mongering that goes on so much. I mean, to a degree where people will say like, oh, you know, I don't want to use such and such because it's like not clean. And I'm like, well, you know, your dermatologist prescribed it to you and it's going to do what you need it to do for your skin. So like, it's okay to use. Right. But I also understand people have like a distrust of Western medicine, which is in some senses, and also for certain cultures and communities warranted. So I got it. Got it. All of that is to say, I think that this is going to embolden people that are already making like outsized claims about certain products or ingredients being dangerous. I think you and I live in a world of like skincare education. Like the people that we talk to day to day are very like informed. But I have talked to people that like tell me that they do not wear sunscreen because it's like toxic and they just wear like natural sunscreen. And I'm like, what is natural sunscreen? Like they're like a raspberry oil. Like there are oils that have high UV protection. And I just prefer that. And it's like, oh, like that's like hard to hear because you're like, you're doing an injustice to your skin. So this concerns me because I think that it's going to just like increase the fear mongering. On the other hand, I do think companies need to be transparent. They need to be transparent and they need to explain what's in their products. And I think things like listing potential allergens is wonderful. When it gets into like facilities and making sure that those are up to date, I also think that's good because a lot of the like quote unquote clean, and I just always say like clean in quotes because what does it mean? But same. a lot of the natural beauty brands People have had horrible outbreaks and horrible, you know, reactions because there's not enough preservative in it or it's not shelf stabilized or it's not made in a factory that has all of like the bells and whistles that like, you know, a huge brand has. Not to say that I'm not for like smaller homemade batch skincare, but I do think that these regulations could help if they're not done in a way that's cost prohibitive for these smaller brands to regulate some of the things even in the like clean beauty space. Yeah, because even, you know, to the point that Allure makes in here about, you know, these smaller brands and what they may experience, it says, that's not to say that Mokra's good manufacturing practice requirements are a bad thing. Homespun brands that, quote, might grow something in their garden, blend it up in their blender and put it in their products, they now will have a barrier for entry where, remember that pink sauce on TikTok? Oh, gosh, yeah. 
It's like, uh, you know, they're preventing essentially like the beauty version of the pink sauce happening, which I think is a good thing. But also there are these smaller independent brands that don't have a ton of funding. No. So I think that the smaller independent brands that are making products at home, this has to be done in a way that's equitable where they can still enter the market, right? So if you're going to have like some sort of like regulation, I don't know if it's like restaurants where you have like someone actually physically come to the space and do checklists. Even if you're making it at home, just get it like up to code, make the standards open to people, make it accessible, make it something that you don't need to have a ton of money and capital to create. And then I think it's fine. But if it's not equitable, if it's going to like prevent small beauty creators that are like making products at home from entering the market, then that's also, I think, really sad. All right. I want to jump into a like a quick fire round before I let you go and just get your opinion beauty in general, what brand do you think is killing it right now in the beauty space? Amicole, Topicals, and Bread. I just said three brands, I know, but these are three brands from incredible Black women. And the reason why I'm calling them out, I think Amicole stands out to me because Giada, who had, you know, worked at Glossier, she had worked at L'Oreal, she had worked in the industry. And I remember when she came on my podcast, she just had this, she said, you know, I I don't know what it is yet, but I want to create something for Black women in the cosmetic space that's not heavy makeup. It's just like your skin, but better. Like she had this whole vision and she wanted to use Baobab because her family's from Senegal. And I just see the way that she has built it and created this beautiful brand with like diehard fans. I think it's just phenomenal what she's doing. And I think she recently won an award for like best beauty newcomer. I don't know if it was Women's Wear Daily or... She's won so many awards. I can't even keep up at this point. And by the way, all three of these founders that Brooke mentioned, we've interviewed. So go through our library and listen to their stories because they are incredible women. I agree about Giada. She is absolutely fantastic. And even though Ami Kole does market itself for melanin-rich skin. Oh, yeah, right. I'm obsessed with all of the products, and I'm like the most basic white girl there is. You know what I mean? <laughs> so... Yes, masca- their mascara, the lip oils, the... I mean, they're, they're coming out with the cheek tint now, which I'm very excited about. Same. Their mascara is one of my holy grails. Just truly incredible. Yes. And then, yeah, I think I think what Alameda is doing with topicals is phenomenal, like trying to make these kind of unsexy parts of skincare, like like butter was developed for eczema, faded was developed for dark spots and hyperpigmentation. And it was like she was being sent to the medicine aisle to like buy these products. And why can't it be like the cute packaging? And I just think their marketing is so fresh and refreshing and culture forward. And then bread, I love what Maeve is doing around destigmatizing like frizzy hair, like this idea that like frizzy curly hair is bad and you want it like as sleek as possible. It's just really harmful. And I think she's doing an incredible job. So all three of them are killing it. And they're all in Sephora now. Yes. Way to go, babes. Way to go. What's the biggest difference between New York beauty and LA beauty now that you're here? Oh my gosh, like Kirby, I was telling you, I want to do like a deep dive, like a six part episodic deep dive on the LA beauty scene because it is so multi-layered and complex. One of the things that I find especially troubling is this like offer to get free Botox filler injections. Does this happen? Do people just slide into your DMs and just like offer you like free all the time needles to the face? Do you want Botox? Do you want filler? Come in. We'll treat you if you post on Instagram. And I'm like, I have a dermatologist that I trust with my life. She would (laughs) murder me if I ever deviated from her very specific recommendations. And also, this woman has known my face for 
a decade at this point. I don't trust anybody else. Right. It's eye-opening to me because you think, oh, everyone in LA just gets like fillers or Botox, but it's this kind of ripple effect, right? If these, and some of them are like med spas, some of them, you know, and that's a whole other conversation uh, that I've also gone into in a recent uh, episode of Naked Bee with Dr. Awoma about the kind of certification you should be looking for before you get these injections. But if all of these people are getting offers to get free filler and free Botox and they have millions of followers and then they post about it and then their audience sees it, it's that ripple effect where then you're like, okay, all, everyone in the city seems to be getting like a little something done. Um, where I feel like it, I don't feel that in New York. It's like not something I like feel as much as I feel it here. And then the other thing I think that's just funny about LA is just the celebrity culture. It's like the makeup artist, it's like, well, which carpet have they done? Or, you know, who, who did, whose makeup do they do? And the hairstyles, it's like, well, they do this person and that person. That's way more of a thing here than it is in New York. Yes. It's a, a form of, of street cred in order to be a source or to say that that person is accomplished in some way more so than in New York. New York. Speaking of celebrity, I know that you've tried many a celebrity beauty brand who do you think is doing it really well? So do you know what brand I am very surprised to say was very good? John Legend launched this brand, Loved One. Did you try it? So I interviewed him and I did the exclusive for Allure. Okay, so I have to read that. I'm sorry that I missed that. No, it's okay. This creamy body wash. I mean, speaking of scents. And so I love sea buckthorn oil. I love rosehip oil. Like those are my girls anyway. Like, so as soon as I saw it was like rosehip and see Buckthorn, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to like this formulation. But the body wash was just like so creamy. And the reason why I think that that line is particularly interesting, everything is under $15 yep. and it's in CVS. So that accessibility, I think is everything. I think the drugstore makeup aisle needs like, um, not makeup aisle, the drugstore skincare section needs a major overhaul. Like it really needs a major overhaul. I can't remember the last time I bought like a shower product at CVS because I just don't, I don't know. None of those brands excite me. But to know that this body wash, and it's marketed as a body and face wash, I've only used it for my body, is under $10. Like I will be a repeat customer of this body wash. So that really impressed me. And I think that the positioning is very interesting. The other product that I've had a chance to try, Sabrina and Idris Elba's line, Sable Labs. Have you tried? I have not tried and I've been wanting to. Do you love it? Okay, I really need you to try. They have this cleanser. It's like this exfoliating cleanser, but it has like clay in it. It almost feels like a treatment. Your skin feels so good after. It's casil, which is a specific ingredient that I'm not even that familiar with, but it's like it's like a clay that kind of like draws out impurities. And it's been a long time since I've tried any cleanser quite like this. I was extremely impressed and I really want you to try it. Okay, I, I'm gonna call that in. I absolutely need to try it. When they announced their launch... The marketing was extremely sexy. I was like, okay. I mean, they're sexy people. Agreed. They're sexy people. <laughs> I was like, I've, I'm already into this. But you know, I have to agree with you about John's loved one. There's no barrier to entry there. Even if someone is like, oh, it's a celebrity line. Like, do we really want to support another celebrity? I think the bottom line is, like you said, it's at CVS, it's at Walmart, and it's under $15. So even if you are like, I don't know if I'm going to like it, you paid $9 for it. And that, no skin off your back. You probably pay more for Starbucks during the week. You know what yes, I mean? Yes, yes. So I love that. You are a mom. Yes. Is there one product that you would recommend every mom get their hands on? Ooh, I love the Hana Hana Beauty Shea Butter. And I use the unscented one for my son. 
it's just there's one there's something really beautiful about the ritual of like shea butter melting into your skin mm. he loves doing it and i love that he could put it on his face he can i mean it shouldn't really go in his hair it would really weigh his hair down but if it gets in his hair then that's fine but that is like post bath we're slathering down in the hana hana unscented shea butter i love it i'm curious do you think there's any ingredients in particular that we're going to see more of in 2023 I think we may see more Super ISO E fragrances. Are you familiar with Super ISO E? I'm not. Can you tell me a little bit more? So it's like this interesting compound. It's like a molecular compound from what I understand that they add into a lot of fragrances. And it kind of gives like a powdery kind of fresh scent. Some eccentric molecules is kind of like the one like the first fragrance that really like focused on it, but I'm seeing it added into like more and more fragrances. And it's one of these things that smells different on every single person that wears it. ISO E is, um, I'm reading an article now. It says it's one of the most versatile odor molecules and it's in a lot of fragrances, but it's a versatile one that basically it has like a very kind of dry, woody, cedar-like scent. Ooh, I would love this. Yeah, I am personally obsessed with it. And I actually make fragrances. Like I make my own fragrances. And a lot of the fragrances that I make myself, I use essential oil. So I'm not actually able to add like a complicated molecule like this. Like I'm mixing like bergamot with sandalwood and rose oil. And like, I love that. And I think it's like gorgeous. But now I'm like, how do I integrate this molecule into my fragrances? Because it's kind of one of those common threads between a lot of the things that I like. And it's a, it's like a synthetic fragrance but it's like woody and cozy. It's just, I think it's very interesting. And I think we're going to be seeing more of it. I love that. That's such a great takeaway on Fragrantia. Fragrantia, if you pull that up the note, there's so many different fragrances that utilize this. It's crazy. I, I would not say I'm a fragrance connoisseur by any means, but I have not heard of this before. So I'm really excited to see and learn more about it. Yes. Yes. I'm very excited for just fragrance in general in, in like the year ahead. I feel like we've, we've done everything we can do in, in, in the skincare space. I feel like body care, we're like also kind of reaching the peak. And now I'm just like very excited about fragrances. And I think people are getting, you know, just more educated about the fragrance world. So I'm just excited about that space. All right. Lastly, Brooke, there's one treatment you, that you can recommend to anyone. And it doesn't have to be like a treatment that's going to change your skin. Maybe it's just a relaxing type of treatment. What would you tell people they need to do? Oh, I love a good like scalp massage, like a head scalp massage. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. That is like the most relaxing thing ever. Even when I get my hair done, like the shit, like the shampooing and the washing of the hair is the best part of the experience. And you can go to places and just specifically get like scalp massage. A lot of East Asian spa, like, uh, like Japanese spas do it. You can find it in a lot of spas that practice Chinese medicine. You can find it. Indian head massage is another thing that is common and you can search in Google. But I love like a good head scalp massage. It's just like, feels like electrifying. Don't you love it? Yes. I'm just like, can you add 10 more minutes onto this, please? Yes. You don't touch your scalp that much with your fingers. I mean, unless you're in the shower, right? But usually it's kind of like you're trying to get through the motions. You're trying to get in and out of the shower quickly. When somebody else is massaging your scalp and your temple, oh, gives me the chills thinking about it. Yeah, it's like the best. It's the best. Brooke, thank you so much for joining me today as our co-host while Sarah is out on mat leave. Where can yes. everybody find you and Naked Beauty? Thank you so much. It was it was really an honor. And I know that you have such a loyal and engaged community. So hi to the Los Angeles listeners. I'm honored to be here. I am 
at Brooke Devard on Instagram and the community, my beauty community is at Naked Beauty Planet. That's where I review lots of skincare, but I also get to talk about all of my episodes in more depth. I'm able to show video clips from the podcast and I love the Naked Beauty Planet community. And I'm on TikTok too, on at Brooke Devard, just kind of documenting my life and having fun. That's our show. Thank you for listening. Follow us on all platforms for announcements and opportunities at Los Angeles Pod and join our Facebook group to share your own reviews. Los Angeles was created by Kirby Johnson and Sarah Tan. It is a part of the ACAST network. Our episodes are mixed and edited by Roxy Flo and Stacey Abarca. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.